I know, I know. It's the middle of February. We live in Colorado, and most everything around here is frozen. But you still want to go fishing. Well, we're going to talk about tailwaters and open water fishing in the rivers here on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, always brought to you by our friends at Sportsman's Warehouse, 132 plus stores and opening new ones on a regular basis. So stop by and check them out if they're in your neighborhood or at sportsmans.com. It's February. I'm not going to lie, people. I'm not a fan of February. Not my favorite month by any stretch. In fact, it's my least favorite month. I'm glad it's the shortest one of all. And I'm not a whiner. I don't want to come off as whining. I purposely live in Colorado for a reason, and obviously it's cold here in February, and that's why they make planes, and I'll get on them, and I'll go somewhere warmer to fish for a little bit to keep my sanity, uh, but this time of year for me is all mostly all about preparation. All my hunting seasons are over with. Uh, my real open water fishing isn't going to be until closer to April. Uh, and I'm not an ice fisherman. I just never have bonded with the sport. I get it. People love it. In fact, people are very, very passionate about it. And I'd be the first guy to, to congratulate guys to go out and do it. It's just not for me, not my gig. So this time of year for me, it's all about planning for the summer of filming that we're going to do and the guiding that I'll do all summer long and all the trips we'll take and even my most recent trips coming up, which, like I said, I'll be flying off to Florida here before too long. <clears throat> Excuse me, be flying off to, uh, to go do some snook fishing and redfish and sea trout and all that kind of stuff. Be testing a whole bunch of new saltwater baits for uh, Berkeley while we're down there, which should be, uh, should be a really fun deal. Joining up with Fishful Thinker guy Dan Swanson and uh, going to do some fishing on the northwest coast of Florida. So, good deal. But, I still like to fish at least a little bit every month in Colorado, or I drive myself crazy. And we are fortunate that we have running water uh, that will stay open even in the non-tailwater areas in a lot of cases. And I'm not one to hotspot locations per se. If you live near a river somewhere that may or may not have open water, you'll probably know it. Um, But this podcast is really going to be about addressing how we catch those fish because that's not all that easy to do. And in Colorado, it could be on the front range anyway, which is the eastern half of the mountains. It could be anywhere from the Poudre River, which is the closest to me, to the Big Thompson River, to the St. Brain River as you work your way south, uh, down, of course, to the uh, Platte River in the Denver area and down from there all the way to the Arkansas River even, maybe uh, maybe Bear Creek up near Evergreen. And then on the western slope, you've got a whole bunch of places from the Yampa River and, and uh, you know Colorado River and all that, frying pan, some tailwater waters over there. But at the end of the day, it's not really relevant where those rivers are as much as that you have an opportunity to go fish them even here in February. And that's really what I want to talk about. And I want to point out that in my experience, the overwhelming majority of the people I encounter in the middle of wintertime are fly fishing, for one. And that's uh, one aspect. And then two, they're doing so with little teeny tiny midges. And I fully get it. Uh, you know, those little size 22, 24, 26, maybe even smaller nymphs, 
under a strike indicator or bobber. Uh, I get it. It's very effective. Um, not my gig. I'm not how I like to fish. It's just a personal thing. If I'm going to end up with a strike indicator uh, and, and basically bobber fishing, then I'd rather have a spinning rod. Because for me, just me personally, you do you. This is my personal opinion. The part that I like about fly fishing is fly casting and, and control, uh, not watching a bobber. And so I'm not a big fan of bobber fishing. I grew up old school nymph fishing. Just for the record, I've been fly fishing since I was a preteen. Uh, I grew up old school fly fishing where you had to watch your line and kind of get a vibe on where your nymph is and just be intuitive more. You know, if, if you read the old John Gearock book or story, I should say, Zen and the Art of Nymph Fishing, uh, that's me. That's what I grew up doing. And so the bobber I just never bonded with. But I'd be the first to tell you that I would be remiss in this podcast if I didn't tell you as an angler that, yeah, okay, get your little tiny disco midges or whatever they might be and hang them under a bobber, probably a stack of two or three of them, and dead drift some deep runs, and you're going to catch some, some trout. No question about that. And the reason I'm not going to talk a whole bunch about that or, or very little about that, to be honest with you, on this podcast, for one, it's not my favorite way to do it. I have done it. I've done it enough to be decent at it even. I just don't thoroughly enjoy it, for one. For two, if you do any winter fly fishing at all right now, that's probably what you already do. So it is my goal to give you some other ways to go about catching fish in February in crystal clear, very shallow running water, which is what we deal with this time of year. And I mean clear, like as in ridiculously clear. And so the biggest issue is for one, in my opinion, don't spook fish. Uh, and that sounds stupid. It really does sound stupid. But when the water's that low and that clear and you are potentially standing up on an ice shelf or moving around against a white snowy back room, background or something like that, you are going to stand out. Of course, the lower the water or shallower the water is or the closer the fish is to the surface, the wider angle he has to be able to see out from that surface too. So when he's only in four inches of water, he can see farther out to the side than he can when he's in two feet of water. So that also makes a difference. So my point is, you can't spook them. If you spook them, all bets are off. If you don't spook them, they're not terribly difficult to catch in the wintertime in my experience. I will say this. Most Guys, if you go ask, if you go stand at a fly shop somewhere, you go stand at Sportsman's Warehouse at the fly fishing department this time of year, most of the guys are, are going to tell you to fish the worst weather. And then we get snow midges come off and yada, 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 and I get it. That's 100% true. If you're relying on little tiny bugs, then you need the bad weather. But the fish eat regardless of that, and that's not something that I even grew up believing uh I was taught that in the wintertime, they just basically don't eat very much. Or when they do eat, they're little tiny bugs. But then I, over time, figured out that I could still catch them swinging streamers in the middle of winter in a non-tailwater area of the fishery. Just have to swing them in the right areas, and you have to swing small, pulsating streamers of some sort. Some kind of marabou will be your friend in the wintertime for sure because this is not the typical speed thing that swinging streamers is all about. It's the same concept. We're going to throw the fly down and across or maybe straight across, let the current form a big belly in the line and speed the fly up as it goes around, kind of a controlled belly. 
and let it swing till it's downstream of you and then strip it partially back upstream. We did a whole TV show, myself and Troy Coburn, that we filmed on the Platte River in February, not in the tailwater, swinging streamers, and we caught fish all day long. It was freezing cold, so cold I didn't even fish. It was high bright sun, glass calm, typical high pressure day. It was so cold that I couldn't even fish. My hands were so cold in the morning. It was like five degrees and we're standing in the river and the river steaming like mad. But the sun came out, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, a little bit of warmth came up and lo and behold, those fish ate our streamers really, really well. And we probably saw 50 other dudes fly fishing that day. All of them were nymphing. And they probably caught, maybe they caught more fish than us. But my point of this podcast is to tell you this. That's not how you have to do it. You can take a little small streamer with a lot of puff to it and strip that thing around and catch some fish with it. Uh, Probably a fair number of fish. The other one I've done in the winter with good success is a super old school partridge soft tackle. It's just a generic little soft tackle wet fly. But it breathes just enough with that partridge tackle and it just for whatever reason, will generate a lot of bites in the wintertime. And it's about as simple as fly fishing gets because I don't have to tie up a a big string of flies. I'm not going to snag it very often. And if I do, I only have to tie one fly back on. I'm not re-rigging two or three fly stack. Um, For three, I can see the line I'm using. I mean, call me old, but at the end of the day, six or seven or whatever X tip, it's difficult for me to even see and but I'd get away with maybe a 5x tippet um, or a 4x even if I'm throwing the little streamers in the winter time. You're still looking for areas where you have deep water access. You're certainly looking for sun warmed areas of the river. Um, but that's almost goes without saying because the areas that aren't sun warmed are going to be frozen over. And if you go up, let's say, Poudre Canyon, up, up from my house right now, there's big sections of the river that are completely locked in ice. But then you come around a corner in the road where it's in the sun all day, and that whole section of the river will be open water, for the most part open water, and you can fish. So you just need to find those kind of spots in the river, and a quick perusal of any map will tell you where those spots are going to be because we all know that the sun is on the south end of the sky in the wintertime, and therefore we need to have exposure to the sun. You can do a little extrapolation and tell yourself pretty quick where the sections of river you need to investigate are going to be. <clears throat> at least that's how I would do it. Once I get there, then I can look at those sections and say I want ones with some access to deep water. I mean, a pure uh, riffle is not going to be good for you right now, and a super deep plunge pool probably won't be either because it will have ice on it. So we're looking for nice deep runs, if at all possible, and I like to see runs that are, if I can find them in the wintertime, from, say, one to maybe three feet deep at the most. I don't want the real deep stuff that tends to be too slow, and I don't want the real fast stuff because the fish's metabolism is not such that they want to get up on those riffles as much. They might under a specific bite window, some sort of a hatch or a really warm day, but for the most part, they're going to want access to deep water in the wintertime no matter what. You won't find rainbows scattered out all over riffles like you would uh, maybe in summertime more. So that's a key thing. So if I'm going to fly fish, for me, it's it's, it's going to be something like a five weight and a small streamer and fluorocarbon leaders. And I'm going to work those flies very methodically on a swing or a cross current deal. And if any fish that shows any interest in my fly at all, 
will get either multiple casts or I will continue to work a fly in his area. In fact, some of my favorite catches are in the winter when you get fish that are look at a streamer and not grab it. And that by about the third time they do that, it gets me as an angler really fired up and I'll start working on getting them to bite. One of my favorite catches on film ever, I teased this fish for probably, I don't know, 45 seconds or more. He kept running up on the fly and then backing off and running up and backing off. And we filmed the whole thing, and he finally ate ate it. And it was a really, really nice rainbow. And uh, and it was just a kind of a neat thing to watch him chase that streamer down in February. So um, super fun. But let's say that you're not a fly fisherman. Now, how are we going to catch fish in the wintertime in the river? Because the streamers I'm talking about fishing are like an inch to three on the outside, more like an inch and a half or two inches. Small, probably an inch and a half even. Um, small streamers, sparse streamers, not big giant streamers like we're going to throw in the summertime when the metabolism's warmer and the food chain's active. So as a spinning rod guy, you're looking at ultralight stuff, and there's a couple of key things I figured out on a spinning rod for the middle of winter time that have helped me a lot. And one of them is the most important one of all, and it has been without fail for about the last five or six years. Every time I go in the winter or in the very cold seasons with a spinning rod, if my bait stays on the bottom, my jig stays on the bottom, I will catch a bunch of fish. And as soon as my jig starts leaving the bottom a whole bunch, I will not catch as many fish. And just for the record, it's kind of the same with that streamer, which is why I said the fluorocarbon leaders, um, I don't necessarily want a streamer that's point-loaded too much or point-weighted too much because then you will snag it for how slow it's going. But a fluorocarbon streamer, uh, leader I should say, will help hold the fly down and get it tight to the bottom without putting weight right on the fly, which will snag the bottom. And the, the, the point of all of this is keep your presentations as close to the bottom as we can this time of year. That has made a huge difference for me in terms of my catch rate uh, over time. One of my favorite things is a little tiny tube jig. Take a little, like a one inch long tube jig with like a 16th or a 32nd ounce jig head in it and literally drag it on the sand. Just pick it up just enough that it'll drift and but all but drag it on the sand. And fantastic way to go about catching them in the wintertime in the rivers. I will, in most cases, take that thing, throw it 45 degrees upstream, and that way if the river will drift it, I'll let the river drift it. If the river won't drift it, I can just pick it up a little bit with the rod, and that'll let the current push it a little bit more downstream, and I'm just barely keeping it, uh, you know, as tight to the bottom as I can, just, just keeping it from sitting on the bottom dead still. Can be the most important thing in my experience Besides that tube jig, another really, really good bait uh, for wintertime is some little uh, crayfishy-looking thing. Um, it started off with the late Charlie Myers, who was a, a writer for many, many years for the Denver Post, sports writer, hardcore fisherman, helped me get my career in fishing started by putting me on the cover of the Denver Post. Um, but he gave me some little one-inch-long crayfish-looking little rubber crayfish with little tiny jigs, told me I needed to try them in the wintertime, next chance I got. And I proceeded to waylay fish with them. And I don't even know what they were, what brand they were. They were just little unscented, unsalted plastic jigs. 
and, or plastic, you know, crayfish bodies on a little tiny jig head, and they were red. The jig heads were red, and the bodies were crayfish colored and uh, kind of a reddish brown, orange, greenish brown color, I should say. Man, I caught a lot of fish with those. And when I ran out of them, it was like, well, now what am I looking for? And Berkeley's got a little power bait thing called a power nymph. And it really doesn't look like a nymph, to be honest with you, but it does look like a crayfish, particularly if you pop the tentacles off it. It's got kind of curly tentacles to it that slow it down. When you take that thing, put it on a 32nd ounce jig head and drag it on the bottom, you're going to catch a lot of fish. And uh, and the trout will have no problem picking it up. You won't get a lot of refusals with it. Uh, it's surprisingly effective. The one caveat to it, there seems like there's always a caveat in there. there one caveat to it is uh, it's not legal in a lot of the tailwaters in the state because they are salt and scent free. No, no scented or salted baits. So then you've got to go into an unsalted lineup, and then I look at the crappy buster lineup, uh, some people, some, some product lines like that that have no scent, no salt, and therefore their, their stuff is legal in the tailwaters. If I can use it in the tailwater, or if I can use it where I'm fishing, let's say in Poudre Canyon or, or on the, the uh, Arkansas River down in Pueblo, well, then I'm going to use that little power nymph, or I'm going to use a little gulp helgramite, which is exactly what it sounds like. It looks like a helgramite. A, has almost no action, little tiny thing, looks like a little bug, put it on a jig head, drag it on the bottom, you're going to catch a bunch of fish with it. If you are a purist and you want to use feathers, I totally get it, no problem with that. My third favorite bait all the way around with the spinning rod is for sure a little tiny marabou jig in a natural color in the wintertime. Uh, and when I say natural colors, in the summer I love white ones, I love black ones, I sometimes like real colorful ones. In the winter, I want my stuff muted as much as possible. Greens, browns, tans, uh, peaches, olives, something in that color range. And those color ranges are where I tend to do better in the winter. And it's probably because the fish aren't as aggressive, for one. For two, the water's as clear as it's ever going to get. And, um, and so I try to keep my colors as clean as I can in that regard. Otherwise, I don't change much colors from, from winter to summer. I just get gaudier ones in the summertime. But a little, like a peach peach and black marabou jig, a little tiny one, a 16th ounce little marabou jig, very, very sparse. It needs to be a very sparse jig. Um, can be so good. You don't want a big, bulky marabou jig right now. This is not the time for a full crappie jig. We want to have that thing dumbed down a whole bunch so that it's very sparse. Uh, which incidentally will let it stay tighter to the bottom with less weight, uh, which is a big thing because the anytime you add more bulk, it takes more weight to get it to stay down in the water column. And so I would like to have them sparse for that reason as well. To do my winter fishing, a major change from summertime to wintertime for me, in most of the cases, unless I'm in a big river where I'm going to be making long throws, I actually take away my braided line. Normally for me, a spinning around the river is a braided line deal the overwhelming majority of the time because of the fact that the braided line cuts through the water really nice. Uh, it gives me long-range hook-setting ability. It gives me an incredible amount of feel. Uh, the problem in the wintertime is that braided line, which has no stretch at all, is too and no memory either, no stretch and no memory, which means if I pull an inch at this end, it pulls an inch at that end, it can make your bait be too active for your own good. So 
if I'm fishing any of the normal sized rivers in Colorado where I'm not gonna be making big throws, and you're not likely to be making big long throws in the winter anyway, I'll use straight fluorocarbon for my for my line. Uh, typically, it's going to be four pound test, and it's going to be a light action or ultralight action. Uh, it's going to be a Fenwick Elite Finesse rod and a fast reel. I always like fast reels for trout fishing, so high speed retrieve ratios on my feet on my reel. And I like I said, the four pound trying 100% fluorocarbon is what's on there, or maybe six if I'm in a place that's got big fish in it and I'm worried about them getting me under an ice shelf or something like that. Um, that very light fluorocarbon gives you excellent control. It does not give you long range casting ability, but it gives you excellent control. But here's the key, and here's why I, I effectively dumb down my sensitivity in the winter. Everything happens slower in the winter. Nothing, the water's denser, the fish's metabolism's colder, everything's slower and denser in the wintertime. And your lure is fast and erratic and, and hyper almost on braided line. But if you put that same lure on, or that same jig or whatever it might be, on fluorocarbon, it deadens the presentation significantly. And that makes a big difference in getting bites in the winter. That was a big thing for me. I used to think it was just a visibility issue and I would conquer that by putting a fluorocarbon leader on the braided line. Well, that's fine, but you still have all that braided line between you and the fluorocarbon leader that is very responsive and will make your bait hyper responsive to any input on your end. So I like the fluorocarbon from that standpoint. It just slows everything down a little bit. And I will throw this little detail out there. If you break it off for some reason, you snag it or a fish breaks you off, you can just retie it and keep going. You're not having to tie a whole nother leader. So similar, you know, you don't have to tie a leader and then tie a new jig up. And uh, similar to having the streamer fly as opposed to say the three fly stack of, of nymphs, is that same thing. I break it off, I can retie it real quick. I don't have to tie up a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't like tying knots when it's freezing cold outside. The water that I'm standing in is 37 degrees and I have to tie knots. Not my favorite thing to do. So I try to minimize that if at all possible. So getting rid of the leader does that as well. So uh, along those same lines, uh, long rods are gonna help you here. My rods are gonna be six and a half to seven and a half feet. So I don't guess I really would call that a long rod, but we definitely don't want our little short ultralights. This is not the time for the five foot rods, five and a half foot rod, because you may have ice shelves to deal with. Uh, you're gonna be dealing with light braided line. Um, you want to be able to control your bait as much as possible and, or excuse me, you're gonna be dealing with light fluorocarbon. Let me back up. You wanna be able to control your casting and everything as much as possible because you're dealing with that fluorocarbon line. So my casting range is cut significantly. So by making sure I have a six, six and a half or seven and a half foot rod, uh, then I'm better. Maybe even an eight footer if you have access to one. Um, that just gets to be specialized for a lot of people. So I try to avoid very many specialized presentations because I don't want to uh, to get away from what you guys can go do. So my whole winter setup, literally every jig that I'm going to carry to go, let's say I was going to go spend a whole day in Poudre Canyon or the Platte River or Arkansas River, any of those three, which are the main three here in Colorado uh, on the front range. Um, my whole setup is going to be a seven and a half foot light powered Fenwick Elite uh, finesse elite rod and then it's going to be four pound trying 100% fluorocarbon and it's going to be on a little tiny either Fluger president 
um, or potentially a little Abu Garcia rocket, something like that. But it's going to be a fast little reel, and it's going to bounce out with that rod. And the then my whole box of jigs will fit in a little tiny plano. I'm not talking about the 3700 box that's that's in your boats or stuff like that. I'm talking about a little fit in your jeans pocket type plano box. And I'll carry you know a couple dozen jig heads and a couple dozen maybe four dozen bodies total. And that'll get me through. And it will be tubes, it will be power nymphs, and it will be little uh, marabou jigs. The only other thing that I'll carry for a spinning rod, in terms of lures go, um, it would be a very small hard plug, like a number three hit stick or something along those lines. Somebody's going to say, well, why would you want a hard plug in the wintertime? Well, same kind of thing as swinging that streamer. The hard plug with the diving lip will pin itself to the bottom and stay in contact with the bottom as it swims across the river on when you are retrieving it or the current is swinging it. Because of that, it again has that aforementioned presentation where it's staying very close to the bottom where the fish are and it can be a little bit quicker to fish. And you can also swim it in one spot, which is one of my favorite things to do, is basically crowd a fish. If you can see a fish in a feeding lane, just crowd him with it. You can take a, a plug or a streamer and hang it, just let it hang there near him, in front of him, off to the side of him, just crowd them with it. They'll eventually get frustrated with it being there over the course of a couple of minutes and a lot of times bite it even in the middle of winter time. I even did that with a lipless crankbait. You guys might be familiar with a rattle trap. Uh, way back in the day, I did that with a big old, big old trout in a pool in uh, in a tailwater just by crowding him with a rattle trap and things just sitting there vibrating and swimming in the current next to him and he finally got mad and smashed it. I don't care why he smashed it. I just cared that he smashed it. And I had to let that rattle trap swim next to him for like three minutes before he would. But then he finally did. And so the one little tiny little Berkeley hit stick, maybe a number five on the outside. And just so you realize that's five centimeters. Uh, so they're very little. Um, that plug you can do that with. So that's the only things I'll carry, guys, is three kinds of jigs. And they'll be in two sizes, 16ths or uh, 30 seconds and 16ths. I might throw an eighth or two in there for good good fun. But that's it. Very, very simple. I try to be stealthy and um, really put my coasters to work. A lot of time on the glasses. If I can spot fish first, it's going to be really good. Um, if I can't spot them well, then we'll go blind fishing. Another thing to keep in mind is they might be under the ice shelves. So casting up on an ice shelf and then dragging the jig off it and just letting it fall down uh, as the water pushes it under the ice shelves can be really good. That can be a good trick as well. I'm going to give you one word of caution. I fell through the ice shelf, fell through an ice shelf one time, and then the river tried to suck me underneath the ice because it was pulling me down. Be extremely careful if you're going to walk out. The one I was walking on I thought was a foot and a half thick, but it had a big, big air pocket in it, and I didn't know it, and I nearly paid for that one. So, any rate, wintertime. Yes, it's cold, but you still need some vitamin D, and you still need to catch a few fish. So, I don't care if you're in Utah or Wyoming or wherever, just a little bit of open water, keeping a small presentation very tight to the bottom, whether it be a streamer or a jig or maybe even a hard plug, you're going to get some bites. You don't have to go bobber fishing. You don't need size 28 nymphs. You can catch some fish. So, I'm hoping you're going to get out and do that. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Hopefully, you'll subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to it, as well as uh, Instagram and Facebook at Fishful Thinker for both of those, especially our YouTube channel. And also, I hope you'll tune in and hear what we're up to on Altitude Sports Entertainment or World Fishing Network multiple times every week. We appreciate you tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.